Have you ever been in a situation where you needed help? A few years ago, I drove home uh, back to Cincinnati when I was living in Illinois to take a seminary class because I'm a glutton for punishment. One of my favorite professors was teaching a class, Dr. David Roadcup, at Cincinnati Christian University of how do you help people become a first-time visitor to get them connected and and a follower of Jesus in the local church. So I was excited to go back to Cincinnati and take this class for a week, and it was nice to take a break. I know I'm weird, but that's a nice way to spend vacation learning. That's my thing, I guess. Uh, But but I'll tell you what, uh, Cincinnati is not a great place to be when your car breaks down. And this is a photo of me uh, inside the car, literally freaking out because my battery had just died. Now, you don't probably know Cincinnati, but I'm on uh, Highway 474, (coughs) and it's really the bottom lip of the highway right in downtown Cincinnati. So that's Great American uh, Insurance Company that looks like a pencil. And to the right, if you can see it, you can see the lights. Great American Ballpark, home of the Big Red Machine. And uh, that's pretty much it since the 70s. Uh, Although we did win a World Series in 1990. Uh, But my uh, car battery died, and I remember sitting there freaking out. Like cars are driving 80, 90 miles an hour, even though, you know, the speed limit is like 75. And so I was... (coughs) Excuse me. Uh, I was uh, staying at my friend Sam and Kate's house, and they lived an hour, uh, about an hour away from Cincinnati, literally in the middle of nowhere. Like I'm talking about a four-way stop sign. Like this is if you've ever seen the show Cops, it's one of those towns. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, nobody's seen Cops. Okay, all right. <laughs> Tough crowd. Uh, yeah, anyways. So anyways, they lived an hour away, and I called my friend Sam. As you can see, uh, it's starting to become evening. It's rush hour, and I said, Sam, my battery died. My car broke down. Can you help? And he starts laughing. He's like, oh, you're the idiot on the Channel 5 News that's hauling up traffic and keeping traffic backed up. And I said, sure, I've been calling a lot of things, but can you help me? Long story short, he helped me, and I got a uh, a U-Haul truck. What? I got a tow truck to come and give me a lift, and I got into the tow truck, and I started to talk to the guy, and my my favorite question was asked of me. So, what do you do for a living? (laughs) You can't go anywhere. (laughs) I love awkward moments. I said, I'm a pastor, and he's like, oh, Okay, and I said, uh, is that weird now? Because we've got 40 minutes to, you know, <laughs> you can turn up Toby Keith and I'll just ignore it. Uh, and he said, no, no, that, that's fine. And we began to talk, and, and he told me his story. I mean, what else are you going to do? Um, <clears throat> and he told me a story about how he's, in, he's really in a bad way right now. He kind of broke bad, and he was dating a girl and, and uh, ha- had a little girl, and, and she kind of, the, 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 gir- the, the girlfriend kind of flipped out left him, won't tell him where she is, and hasn't seen her daughter in over a year, and he has a melancholy temperament, so he's prone to depression uh, and anxiety, and so he, 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 he said, man, my, my, the last of my, uh, last year and a half, two years, my life has spiraled downhill, and, and, and I've got into, like, cocaine and methamphetamines and, and alcohol abuse, and, and I started dealing drugs, and so I owe a lot of shady people some money, all the while, we're leaving Cincinnati, right? And the banjos, and I'm like, okay, well, you know, this is, this is how I roll. I, I, I'm from, you know, I'm not trying to embellish the story. I, I'm more from the hood than I am from the country. I mean, I grew up 10 minutes from downtown Cincinnati. So being in the middle of nowhere 
freaked me out. But me, me being down in the heart of over the Rhine in downtown Cincinnati, which is not a place you want to be when the sun goes down, I felt for some reason more comfortable there. And he began to tell me his story and just how his life spun her out out of decay. And so when we pulled in, and, and I don't have great shining pastoral moments, but I felt good about this one. He pulled into Sam's driveway, and he said, we're here. I said, hey, do you mind if I pray for you? And, I said, and he said, sure. And, and I prayed for him, and, and I haven't seen him since. Now, 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 whether or not your battery dies or you're uh, hooked on drugs and uh, you've been divorced or someone took someone you love away from you, everybody needs help. This is not a religious thing. This is what it means to be human kind of a thing, right? So let, 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 let's, let's put away the labels and make us feel comfortable and make us feel nice and neat. Everything's in a box. This is a human thing. This is, this is part of ultimate reality, that we all need help in our lives. Melissa is the same way. And actually, she found her way back to God when she said, you know what? I'm tired of being in this cycle. I need some help. Here's her story. My journey started when I was two years old and my mom and my um, dad divorced and I, we had lived with my grandmother for a long time and my grandmother and I did not have a good relationship. I met my ex-husband when I was a junior, met at a bar. I didn't really know who I was though at 16, 17 years old to be in, in love or even know what it meant. It was just something was missing, but I just was so in the moment and wanted like to get married and the whole fairy tale that I kind of pushed those feelings aside. Um, once we had my daughter, it definitely took a turn for the worse. His behavior changed and my behavior changed. And then once I found out I was pregnant with my son, I felt like I was just stuck. I, you know, I have two kids and I definitely don't want to be a single mom with two kids. So I knew something had to change and I just kind of went the wrong way to make that change. Um, I had an affair, and then on Father's Day weekend, I had another affair. I think from the beginning of being with a grandmother that treated me like a piece of crap to now being in a relationship that I just destroyed and slept with multiple men, but there was no God. And if he was there, he was not a nice person. So, I mean, I would, I would pray, but I didn't know who I was praying to. I just kind of, someone's there, so hear me, and you probably hate me, and why would you let this happen? The last affair I had um, turned into a relationship. It lasted three years, and it was a living hell. I was emotionally and physically abused, and my son was physically abused. Scissors being thrown, TVs being thrown, you know, me locked in a room with a gun to my head and they were just on the other side screaming. And during, during that time, I became a drug addict. I was on coke, and I drank a lot. And it lasted three years because I didn't know how to get out of it. So the only way I was able to get out of it was um, I moved. So I moved and didn't know where I was. Before I moved, I met my now husband. The first day I met him, we, like, Literally an hour after I met him, we ate at a TGI Fridays. We told each other stuff and there was no judging because we both were there. <laughs> we both had similar stories, it was scary. So I 
sobered myself up, still had no God, but just knew I needed to do something because I was probably going to lose my kids. So we decided to get married, and before we did, we found the church. Everyone was amazing with our kids and where they should go, and we, it was, it was life-changing. It is life-changing. It was, it was amazing. When once the first service that we went to, we knew we needed to get baptized before we got married, that we needed to wash all the sins that we have committed in our previous marriages before me and him committed to each other. For years, many years, my husband and I both tried to do it on our own, and that wasn't working. So now we have a place that we could turn to um, when we need it. It's a relief. It's definitely a relief in any part of our relationship. If we have a troublesome moment, we turn to God, we pray. We're not going to drugs and alcohol and affairs. We're going to God. So that is a relief to have that. And our small group, people who message me daily, what can we pray for you about? It's an awesome feeling. It's a place that I am comforted and loved unconditionally, no matter what. It's what a home should feel like, and it does. What an incredible story of someone awakening uh, to help. You know, Jesus told <clears throat> the story of the prodigal son for that same purpose. And, and he told the story not to be religious, but to define ultimate reality. And by that I mean everybody has longings inside of their bones. You have emotions, you have feelings, and oftentimes one of the things like religion, we're taught to stuff them down, and we're never really fully alive. We may say we're Jesus followers, but, we're, but, but we have no life-giving spirit uh, within us. And so Jesus tells a story about the prodigal son, that whether your longings have taken you away from God or brought you closer to God, everybody, every person, every person, am I clear, can find their way back to God. And so we talked about the five, we're talking about the five awakenings that happen in the spirit of our hearts that compel us to want to go back to God. And for some of us, it's a moment, but some of us, it's a season. And like the prodigal son, it was a season. First, it was his awakening to longing, wondering, is there more to this life? And last weekend, we talked about his awakening to regret. He asked for his father, give me my share of the inheritance. I want to spend the money. I wish you were dead because that's the only way I can get it. So give it to me now. I want to see the world on my own terms. And he spent <clears throat> all of his money. He slept with whoever he slept with. He drank it away, shot it up, partied his brains out. And then he was left eating in a trough with pigs. Actually, they wouldn't even allow him to eat with the pigs. And he came to the realization that maybe if I go home, my father might not accept me as his son, but maybe he can give me a job in his mansion. Maybe he can just give me some dial soap and a towel and say, you're on dish duty for the rest of your time when you live in my house. And we talked about that beautiful gift of repentance, that it's not just a change of mind, but it's knowing that we can actually walk back home to our Heavenly Father. And we said that if we don't do this, we'll get stuck in the sorry cycle, right? This repeated conversation. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. Nobody loves me. I'm a terrible husband, terrible wife and father and child. I'm too stupid. I'm too fat. I'm too ugly. And, and we, we begin to have identity statements. And for religious purposes, a lot of the times it's, I've done this, 
This is who I am. I'm defined by what I've done. And so because I def- I'm defined by what I've done, God would never want to have me back. And so we say really passive aggressive things like if I ever walked into a church, the whole place would burn up and, and, ter- and, and, ter- and burn down, right? Because why would anyone ever let me into a church building? Well, it's just a building. The church or the people, right? I know I Jesus you for you. But we say, we say these things because we believe an identity statement that I must be only judged by what I've done. That's not the gospel. That's religion for sure, but that's not the gospel message, is it? And so it's interesting that when I experienced um, community for the first time, it was in the basement of a Catholic church. I went to, and I've been open about this, uh, I went to uh, my first AA meeting with my father. Uh, My father's an alcoholic. Hopefully someday uh, I can say recovering, uh, but he's an alcoholic. He's he's dealt with uh, drug abuse and uh, of all kinds his whole life, and he grew up in the 50s and 60s where, you know, women weren't relevant and you don't talk about your feelings, and so he was hurt as a young boy and never went to counseling and dealt with those things, um, which is really, really sad. And I'm so glad that mental health is something that we can talk about today. But I remember going to that meeting with him and being shocked because in that circle were 10 other men that some were dressed like my dad, which he had like the, you know, the, the typical dad shoes from Walmart, the white like uh, uh, with the Z, you know, what is that? The new balances, you know, or the N, I guess letters are hard, and sweatpants and a hoodie, but then next to him, there were CEOs, like dudes that were pulling down six, seven figures, and I remember, like, I was in college, like, 22, 23 years old, and I'm like, what? Rich people get addicted to stuff? Yeah, apparently you have more money to buy stuff, and I learned, I know, right? I, I learned the first step in the 12-step program, which I read, I read the book because I was curious to see what my dad was going through, which is we have to admit that we're powerless over our addiction. In other words, we can't do it on our own. We'd like to talk about, excuse me, we like to talk about the penalty of sin, right? I've done this thing, now I'm going to burn in hell forever, right? Like I've done this thing, so the Father will not take me back. But what we don't talk about is not the penalty of sin, because we get Right? We get the idea, especially in parenting, positive and negative reinforcement. If you do something bad, you're going to be punished, right? Uh, that's not the gospel. That's religion. Uh, but we get the fact about the penalty of sin, but we don't know how to take seriously the power of sin. The power of sin is like a freight train. <laughs> it's a snowball. It's the biggest, fattest, ugliest defensive lineman that is coming for you, and you're the quarterback. And your O-line just went down to the ground. You see, sometimes we think that we're in control of the decisions we make, but in actuality, <laughs> they're in control of us. And if we don't awaken to longing, regret, and help, we'll never have true life in Christ, and we'll never have freedom. Richard Rohr, in his book, wrote, we would rather be ruined than changed. Powerful thought. We would rather die in our dread than climb the cross of the present and let our illusions die. Isn't that so true about us? Like, everybody wants to play hide and seek, right? Everybody wants to be chased, but not everybody wants to be found. 
And that's why the third awakening in this teaching series is so critical, friends. Because the third awakening is an awakening to help. Not, not just knowing that I'm going to repent and change my mind. Not just knowing that, that dad's going to leave the light on when I go home. But that when I go home, maybe someone will be there that will love me in spite of what I've done. Maybe my identity can be defined not by what I've done, but who my father is. And this is what the prodigal son steps into. In Luke 15, 17 through 19, Jesus continues with the story. When he came to his senses, the prodigal son, he said, <coughs> excuse me, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. He came to his senses and said, you know what? I don't know what it's going to be like. I don't know if my dad's going to take me back. I don't know if I get to be his son. Hey, I'll be happy cutting grass. I'll be happy doing dishes. I'll be happy doing, like, being part of the hired help. I'm happy to do whatever. But whatever he wants me to do, it's better than where I'm at now. Because when we live, I talked about this last week, remember that funny word, rump springer, that means literally running around? When we spend our lives, spend our lives running around, we say things like, I never thought my life would turn out this way. I never thought I would do this. I never thought I would compromise my integrity. I never thought he or she would do this to me. And then we, we find ourselves doing things that we never thought we would do. A year, two, three years ago, we would say, no, that's not, I, would never, I would never do that. And yet we wonder if we go home, what's that moment like? It's one thing to party your brains out in college your freshman year and to repent and sort of change your mind. It's another thing that you know you can go home because help is there. See, repentance and awakening to help doesn't stop with just cognitively changing your mind and everything's okay. No, 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 no. That's not going to fly here, at least while I'm at RCC. You got to let it out. You got to be real with what's going on in your life. And every week we've been talking about different prayers that we can pray. And the prayer of help it's a prayer that I want to share with you that you can pray today and this week and encourage you to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll, we'll post this tomorrow. And the prayer of help goes like this. God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. Awaken in me the willingness to turn towards you for help. What a bold prayer. Simple prayer, right? God, if you're real. And if I'm not the definition of my mistakes or my worst day, can you actually help me? That's a bold prayer. That's an honest prayer. That, 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 that's a prayer that's shifting from a God who is a theory in someone's mind to a God that's actually a life-giving relationship to somebody. And what I'm about to read to you, if it is true, which I believe it is, <clears throat> is the most profound statement in all of literature, history, and theology. This is the heart of the gospel message with what I'm about to say to you. If, if you stop coming to RCC after today, do not forget this statement. If I never see you again and you're just checking out the church for the first time, this is what the Bible is about in a nutshell. You ready? Here we go. In Luke 15, 29, Jesus says, 
he, the prodigal son, got up and went to his father. And here comes the moment of truth. What happens after I go home, after parting my brains out, doing whatever I want, cussing my dad out, taking the money, uh, embarrassing my mom, making my brother angry? What happens when I come home? Jesus says, while he was a long way off, his father saw him and he was filled with judgment. Hatred. The wrath of God. When you think about God and how he thinks about you, what is he filled with? Because if you're religious, it's probably judgment and despair. We're going to go through a book called Galatians after this. And it's all about people that think that you have to, like a monkey, jump through hoops and perform all these exercises in a circle to win God's favor. You see, for a lot of us that have been around the block and tried church before, we feel like if we don't perform well, God's not going to love us. But the heart of the gospel message is this, friends, and you have to decide if this is for you, that God was filled with compassion before a conversation happened, before the son decided to justify himself, Jesus says the father was filled with compassion. And the father ran to his son. He threw his arm around him, and he kissed him. Now, the father <laughs> ran to his son, which even in 2019, it's not dignified to run. Praise the Lord. There were no gyms back in the first century. It fit right in, right? <coughs> that was funnier. You can laugh later. <laughs> Important people don't run, Right? Uh, I love Chef Zakarian. Um, it's my wife's fault. I got into the food networking shows. And I remember he was giving an interview, and he said, if I go to your restaurant and you tell me there's a wait, I'm leaving. I'm a world-renowned chef. I don't wait for anybody. My assistant tells you I'm coming, and you better have a table. Important people don't run. There's something nice and neat about religion, isn't there? That kind of keeps us very civil while we're breaking inside. And like we're broken inside. And we wait, like I did when I was in high school, for a conference or a retreat to really let it out and ugly cry. And then I go back to my church and be serious about Jesus for a little bit. Then I get stuck in a routine. And that's not, that's not the gospel. That's not what Jesus wants us to do. Because Jesus clearly indicates his heart for us because he runs towards us. He also runs towards us, not because he loves us, but also because he knows that there's a Jewish practice in the first century called Gehessa. And in the first century, if you ran or left your parents and said, dad, dude, I wish you were dead. Give me my share in the inheritance. I'm going to go live it up. I'm going to go sleep with whoever, drink it away, shoot it up, party. I'm going to live the high life, as the commercial says, right? I I'm, uh, I'm gone. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to be my own man. And you decide, dang, I don't have any money. I got no gas in the car. Healthcare is expensive. Maybe I should go home. And you decide to go home. The family had this Jewish practice called Gehessa. But hopefully I'm saying that right. I apologize if you come from a Ju Judaism and I'm totally butchering that. Um, the, the, they would experience this practice called Gehessa. And the family would meet you at the city gate. And they would see you coming at a distance. And they would bring some pottery back from their home. And they would tell you to stop. And they wouldn't need to say anything because all they would need to do 
is hold up the pottery and break it. Symbolizing you left us. You're not welcome home. You're not worthy of love here. You can't find community at this church. You see, the father ran to the son theologically because he loved him, but also historically because of a Jewish practice. The father knew that the family, the religious people, the people like, like to follow the rules but have no idea what a relationship with God is like, the father knew that if he got to the son first, the son might walk away never knowing the father's heart. And my God, this will not be the definition of RCC. People will not come here and be told to go away because they look different, they think different, they believe differently. Everybody at RCC has a shot to follow Jesus and accept Christ on their own and express that publicly in baptism. And if the father did not run, the son might have never known how much the father actually loved him. And he ran before the pottery dropped. Because the father wanted to know, wanted his son to know that there's help and that the son is loved. When you awaken to help, you will know that help has a name. And his name is Jesus. In 1992, Derek Redman, I believe is his name, was an Olympic athlete, uh, favored to win many gold medals, uh, phenomenal runner. I was 10 years old. I remember watching this happen in the Barcelona Olympics. He trained his, his whole life in the last four years for this moment, and something catastrophic happened, and he needed help. He needed help from his dad. Watch this.
everybody needs help. In the seat backs in front of you, I want everybody to grab this Finding Your Way Back to God card. Go ahead and do it right now. If you're sitting in the front row, there's a card in the seat back behind you. Go ahead and grab it. I'll wait. <coughs> These are what we're going to call our coming home cards. And here's what we want to invite you to do. We want to invite you to take one of or two next steps. This is something we've been praying for you about. The elders have been praying for you about. Our life group leaders have been praying for you about. Our staff has been praying for you about. For you, you, you now have a decision. All right, we're done preaching. We're done with the theory. It's rubber meets the road. Jesus has made a way for you to come home. And we wanted you to indicate that on this card. On this card, there's an opportunity for you to say, God, I really need your help with, and you can write out a simple prayer. Also, below that is an opportunity for you to check a box that says, yes, I, will, I want to be baptized on Baptism Sunday, March 10th. If that is you, I want to encourage you to check that box. Whether you fill up the top or the bottom or both, uh, you can do that right now as I'm talking, and we'd love for you to provide your name and email. And after I get done talking here in a second, I'm going to pray for us, and we want to invite you to come forward and just drop it, the card on the broken pottery, and we've got communion stations set up all along the perimeter of this room. So after you drop off your card, you can grab your communion and make your, make your way back uh, to your seat. Here's why. Jesus is the, and there are many gods. Jesus is the only God who came to rescue us, not teach us morality, although he does that. And in 1 Corinthians, Jesus says, this is my body, which is broken for you. You see, for us, we need more than a vase to be broken, for us to have community back with the Father. The sacrifice has to be a like-for-like like transformation. You have to become what you want to save. And so in the gospel of God, God himself becomes one of us. And he's literally medically broken in front of us. So much so that he has to work to push up off the cross just to breathe. And when the fluid and his sack near his heart ruptured, medically speaking, speaking, Jesus literally medically died of a broken heart, not suffocation. And if Jesus did not break his body for us, we would not know that we could come back to God. And we would not know that it would be safe to come back to God. And we would not know that there would be help if we decided to come back to God. So I'm done preaching. It's your move. I'm going to pray. We invite you to come and drop the cart off on the broken pottery and take communion as you're ready. Lord, we thank you for the sacred moment that you've invited us to come back to you. Lord, I pray that uh, for my friends here that are contemplating baptism, that they would do it. That this would be a space of love and acceptance and that they would do this for their own. It's their own decision. It's their first step on the discipleship journey to express publicly what they believe. Jesus, you said in the New Testament, man, you said, if you are baptized, you are identifying yourself with me. It's the last thing I'm going to institute before I get out of here and come back. 
And I pray if there's any man or woman, child or student in this room that is not publicly identified with your story and your mission, that they would do it today by simply communicating it on the card and bringing it forward. Lord, we leave this space open to your spirit to do whatever you want. This is your room. And Lord, before I end, I pray for my friends that are watching online that they would right now in this moment hop onto our website and under next steps decide, I want to come home. I want to be baptized. I want to celebrate on March 10th because I was lost. I was in a bad way. But I know my father is good and I can come home. It's your move. Amen.